Hey y'all, this is Ledge, and before we get to today's episode, I just wanted to say I have spent the last four years working closely with Gun.io engineers. If you're a first-time client and you haven't done business with any freelancer working on a software project, then you might think, hey, this is really expensive. And on the flip side, if you have done business with a freelancer and things haven't worked out, you're just kind of scared about spending more money. And the reality is that the risk mitigation comes because we do such high-level vetting and the people that we put on your projects are just consistently rated as the very highest engineers. And that's what makes the difference for you. So I encourage you to take the leap and try engineers by engineers. It's a whole different experience. This is the Frontier Podcast, powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. In this episode, Ledge sits down with Michael Weissman, 10-time entrepreneur, career high-tech executive, and consultant to such tech all-stars as Apple, Amazon, Adobe, and more. Michael's current adventure is Sinky, an advanced ad tech product that delivers product advertising right alongside the product purchase experience. Following on the success of Amazon's ad network and building a next generation enhancement of the concept, Michael asked the compelling question, why is the best advertising off of the retailer's website? And furthermore, why is the worst advertising baked into the retail experience? When it comes to culture, Michael doesn't hold back. He and his team have a strict code of constructive disagreement they use not in order to be right, but in order to get better. It's made them a strong, effective unit for more than six years. Michael, thanks for joining us. Really cool to have you on today. Happy to be here, Ledge. Can you just give you know your uh, sort of two or three minute background story so the audience can get to know you a little bit? Uh, yeah, I've got a uh, 30 year background in high tech, um, a lot in the uh, startup world. This is my 10th startup. Um, I've done work in all parts of the industry and um, spent a decade as a consultant. I advised companies as broad range as Apple and Amazon, Adobe, Sybase, Semantic, Enterprise, Mobile, uh, Web. Um, I, I spent uh, the last 10 years in the uh, data communication space and right now, I'm focused on the retail and uh, ad technology space. So kind of a broad range of experience over a long period of time. It's the best kind of experience. And I imagine you're able to bring those, you know, so the broad perspectives to the new space. You and I talked a little off mic about, you know, kind of the, the revolution in ad tech. I'd love if you would dive into that. I think the audience would find that really interesting. Yeah. You know, you, know, you think about what's... Uh, what's going on and ad tech is about to go through the largest disruption uh, in 20 years. It really is uh, uh, become crystal clear to people even as recently as last week. Um, people know that the largest amount of, of advertising flows through two networks. They throw, flow through Google and it flows through Facebook. But what people don't know is the third largest ad network in the United States is Amazon. Uh, Amazon was scheduled last year to do $3 billion in advertising. They didn't. 
They did $3.4 billion last quarter. They did $10 billion last year. $10 billion. This has shocked the entire industry. They are now the third largest. And so we're in this disruption, and people really haven't figured it out. Uh, and the best way to understand why is the money flowing to Amazon is to ask ourselves a simple question. Why do the best components of marketing, the best internet marketing, why does that happen as far away from the time and place of purchase online? Think about it. The worst marketing is done on the retailer's websites. And the best marketing is done off the retailer's website. Why is that happening? Because the ad tech world is backwards. And Amazon is showing you need to bring the advertising to where the shoppers are, which is while they're shopping. And there's a lot of uh, value in doing that. And, that, and so this, just for perspective, this would be like, I'm shopping on Amazon and I see the sponsored listings right there in the product. And I see, you know, sort of other places where they're, they're like selling their re real estate on the product page and it's hyper targeted to, you know, well, if you like this one, you might like this one, that, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. You're starting to see that, you know, I, I run a company called Sinky, uh, S-Y-N-Q-Y, uh, and what we're doing is we're delivering actual product ads uh, right alongside the product when the product shows up in retail. And what this allows us to do is tell the brand story that uh, is being told on Facebook or being told on a television ad or being told on a microsite that the brand owns, which no one goes to, and actually bringing that story to the consumer while they're shopping, while they're receptive for the message. And uh, so we're actually pushing beyond what Amazon is doing, uh, but delivering a, a truly interactive experience uh, in a way that hasn't been done before. And there's a technical underpinning to do that, which we can talk about in a few minutes. Um, so uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of our largest customers is... Uh, is Albertson's uh, Safeway. Uh, it's the second largest grocery chain in, uh, in the country. And they have a, a personalization engine called Just For You. In that personalization engine, it determines what coupons you should see uh, and uh, uh, based on past purchase uh, history and so forth. Uh, but all of those coupons are static images and we allow interactive content this could be recipes, uh, other things that are helpful to the consumer to be available when people are looking at coupons, as an example. So, yeah, I mean, what's the technology look like to make something like that happen? I mean, I come, for example, from the, the early online days of newspapers, you know, when when classifieds were first getting disrupted and, you know, it was magical to have, you know, a moving ad made with flash, you know, so fast forward to here where you're talking about taking on this, you know, new behemoth. And I happen to know that Albertsons, you know, is actually one of the companies that, that dropped AWS because they were so worried about the, uh, the footprint of Amazon competing, you know, onto their, their retail turf. So, um, you know, talk about serving that and, you know, what's that look like to get that done in a way that can compete with such a monster? Well, so let, let's take a step back. 
And um, let's talk about how the web uh, works from a marketing point of view today. So you have a, you're a manufacturer and you sell products through other people. We call them resellers or retailers or other people like that. And they have a website. And the problem is you don't manage their website and they don't manage yours. So we have this conflict, a technical conflict of interest because I want people to come to my site and they want people to come to their site. And I can't express what I want to express through code on their site very easily because they don't give me a way to manage my content on their site. Are you with me from a technical point of view of the technical challenge yeah. to that? And the whole web yeah, is predicated on this issue. So all of the ad tech says, I'm going to take people from where they are and bring them to domains I can control. And in doing so, I will be able to um, communicate my value to them. Uh, but I have now taken them somewhere. I've taken them on a journey. Uh, I call that a marketing transportation tax. That we're spending money to ad companies, we're spending money to Google to move the shopper from where they are to where the marketing is. So we said, let's think about this differently. Why don't we move the marketing to where the shopper is? Now, what that requires us to do is some, some different ways to think about the problem. So you're familiar, I'm sure, with the idea of uh, web content management. Um, think about us as remote content management. We're managing our content as it is communicated across sites we don't manage. And our ability to control that experience in a way that meets our requirements, but does not harm the host site that we're running on. There must be some technology there, but I imagine just you try to limit the footprint of what they have to do on their yeah. site. Yeah. So we're, we're a, a JavaScript, uh, you know, we're a client server kind of uh, architect. We have microservices and all that kind of stuff. We've got a, um, uh, uh, a client that runs on our host provider, which in this case is a retailer. And we are uh, observing the behavior on page. We're observing what the content is on the page. And then based upon the content of the page, we're dynamically identifying what content to deliver on the fly autonomically. And then uh, based upon the consumer's behavior on the site, uh, we have uh, the ability to alter that data uh, based upon behaviors. Uh, so um, in some simple examples, um, we can go on a retailer site and if a certain product comes up, we can go grab an, an advertisement related to uh, the identifier of that product. We have a matchmaking technology that we now have a patent on uh, and it's our ability to uh, to identify the content needed and deliver it in in real time. Uh, real, real time is post page delivery under 20 milliseconds. Um, the, uh, the second piece is we can take additional elements such as the geography of the, uh, uh, of the shopper 
or the geography of the grocer itself. So we, you know, we work all over the country, but they have certain products that get marketed differently in different regions or different offers based upon the geography of the store locator or where the consumer is. You know, let's say you have uh, a coupon that uh, has restrictions in the state of New York. Well, how do you handle that? Uh, we can identify elements and dynamically deliver a different piece of content uh, and personalize the content based upon uh, those kinds of attributes. Um, what we're implementing now, I, I can't get into too much details, but what we're implementing now is the ability to observe behavior on the page, like somebody wants to configure a product and uh, they have to talk to the, uh, the brand and get configuration data uh, and then actually reconcile between the two and update the page post load and insert uh, content in that uh, ends up allowing us to update the order uh, all in real time, all without any human uh, intervention. Impressive. So what uh, maybe, you know, I know you talked about, you know, well, you're not an engineer, but, you know, so what what problems do you know that your engineering team had to solve there? Because ultimately, you know, sort of the vision has to flow downstream into that actual implementation. And I wonder what feedback you were getting back from yeah, engineering product groups. Yeah, so uh, excellent question. Uh, um, uh, my toes got really, really big because we stubbed our toes on a bunch of technical problems. Um, we... We have no awareness ahead of time what platform we're going to run on, what um, operating environment the website is running on, what version of anything in the stack that's happening there, whether there are any uh, areas of conflict, um, people who've implemented um, other componentry incorrectly, so even if we comply with how it should be done, we've discovered that the uh, developers around uh, don't actually uh, comply and they break the rules because of stupidity or cleverness or anything in between. And so we had to learn. We basically created our own namespace. Uh, this allows us to operate more freely and clearly. Uh, that was something that we we had to do. Um, we needed the ability to um, uh, do a little bit of machine learning about the, the constructs uh, and norms of these types of systems. Um, we had to uh, solve problems of, uh, you know, our, our system is what you would might call a lazy loader, where we, don't, we can't be a blocking script because e-commerce has to flow very quickly. And you can't be a blocking script on such things. Um, how to deal with issues around um, uh, infinite scrolls, uh, where we're real time sniffing, but the but the site's changing in real time as well. And how are we uh, staying current to those? Uh, and you know, nested uh, uh, nested filters, and how do you reveal content over time? Uh, so there's quite a bit of uh, technical challenges to create an incredibly uh, reliable, um, you know, solution. You know, our we have an internal mantra, which we've had since day one, 
um, we 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 say we have to be uh, a great host and we have to be a great guest. And what we mean by that is we host the brand's uh, presence. Uh, excuse me. We uh, we yeah, we host the brand's presence uh, on the web. So we work with some of the largest companies in the world, like um, like Unilever and Pepsi and Danon and and Nestle and you know all, all the big uh, companies who you know work with uh, with Canon and SiriusXM and so forth. And uh, they expect us to make sure that their brand always looks perfect. So we have to host that brand in a way that that doesn't distort the brand in any way on any kind of site, uh, regardless of device, OS, um, you know, and everything in between. But we also have to be a great guest because our technology runs on somebody else's website. And even if they behave badly, we have to behave in a way that is non-damaging uh, to any of the consumer experiences that happen on their site. Uh, and that, that took us two or three years to sort all of that stuff out. So let me ask you this, you, you have a, a journeyman career, right? You know, you've done a ton of different things, right? And you sort of, no question from a leadership and business perspective have brought all that to bear here. What's different about this experience and the team that you, you know, had to put together to just have this problem solving uh, bleeding edge kind of disposition, you know, uh, what, what were the difficult areas there and, and how do you, how do you know you have the right people in the right seats? I mean, there's just a lot going on when you, when you jump out and try to build, you know, a, a bleeding edge organization to solve this kind of problem. Uh, so, so it's an excellent, uh, excellent question. Um, most important experience, um, and I've learned this the hard way, and I don't want to express where I learned it. But um, what I've learned is culture is king. Um, you, one bad apple, I mean, you can wreck the whole company, uh, really wreck the whole company. And I've seen it in multiple occasions over the course of my career. So I have become extremely focused on picking the kind of people who are smart, obviously, uh, super competent, but um, don't necessarily have the sharpest elbows. I, I want conflict and, and um, the uh, ability to talk freely and, um, and debate things, but um, I found that um, anybody who's oriented to their own outcome instead of the team's outcome, who is focused on a personal win over the team's win, um, not a person I put on my team. So we're super, super, super sensitive now to creating that kind of culture where we can disagree uh, and we can disagree fervently. Um but we're all doing it not to be right. We're all doing it to be better. And uh, so, um, you know, our team has actually been together now for uh, for six years. Uh, and um, our team culture is uh, is great uh, because of that. Um, in terms of the challenges that we face, uh, 
we we operate on a two-sided sales model. We have to both simultaneously get retailers who are our publishers and then the brands who advertise through those retailers. Uh, and that is a, uh, a harder sales process. And we've had to learn a bunch of uh, things about how to uh, really accelerate the sales uh, automation and the sales processes uh, around that. And that's, that's uh, uh, been a challenging piece, the chicken and the egg kind of piece. No doubt. Have you built and, and used engineering resources to, to build any of those tools? Or do you use sort of a, a collection of off-the-shelf, you know, well-known solutions for sales automation, process automation, um, CRM. I mean, I can imagine you have all kinds of support mechanisms and, and customer success mechanisms. Did you build that stuff because it didn't exist, or did yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. We. It's an excellent question. Um, we're ultimately building it. We uh, we we looked uh, around, and um, um, we've come to realize uh, in the last nine ten months that. Uh, we can't get there with anybody. We have a very unique uh, business proposition, and actually, we see it as a uh, uh, a real essential element of our business. Uh, if you think about it, um, at least this is my perspective. Um, the Google innovation around page ranking was uh, was obviously uh, an important innovation, and I don't dispute the importance of the fundamental search capabilities of Google. But the most economically advantageous thing they did is they created an automated uh, um, ad buying process. There were no salespeople for like a decade, none. And so if you wanted to run an ad on Google, you had to use their software. It was a software investment. And we've come to the realization we need to do the same thing. So we've actually built out uh, some pretty sophisticated um, uh, sales automation tools where we are um, dynamically acquiring potential ads, uh, presenting those ads into our platform, uh, basically um, I ingesting them into our platform uh, and then presenting the ad as a completed solution for target buyers. And uh, this is a new thing that we just started to roll out in the last 30 or 40 days. But we we think that as we build out our solution, our ability to eliminate a lot of the complexity of uh, web advertising is uh, is going to be paramount. Uh, you know, we if you think about. Um, most of your listeners probably are unfamiliar with how the ad industry works, but uh, indulge me 90 seconds to do a quick history lesson. The television uh, business was a very, very beautiful business for advertising agencies. They got 15% of all of the spending that went on television. You would get paid to create a commercial or you would do the commercial as part of your deal. And maybe you spent a half a million dollars on the commercial and you bought $50 million worth of media and you got 15% of it. Uh, and you had, in the old days, you had three networks that you had to get your materials to. It's really easy and very, very, very profitable. 
Uh, now with internet advertising, you have so much micro targeting and you have so much personalization and, uh, data integration and data, um, um, you know, uh, optimization and things that you're trying to do to make your ads effective. Um, and the cost of sales, uh, is like in the 30% range. So, you're making 15% margin on a product that costs you 30 cents to, you know, to do, uh, that's not a business that, that you're going to make money at. And so it's very, very complicated. So we have come to recognize that we have to build in not only the facility to, um, to deliver this interactive content anywhere it needs to go on the web, but to be able to do it in a way that people can, um, uh, deliver that, uh, you know, kind of uh, bring that content in and manage that content uh, uh, almost like a, a network operating center, if you think about it from that point of view. And uh, the sales process from our perspective is just um, a few steps in the UI to an overall optimized workflow, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely does. And, I, you know, the first thing that my head goes to is just like the mandate now of I mean, everyone, retail or otherwise, it just has to be an omni-channel marketer, you know, out of the gate and just how difficult and what an administrative and operational lift that is to just say, geez, I need to touch, you know, my own site. I need to touch Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, uh, Medium, you know, and wherever it is, right, uh, Pinterest could be a big deal for for retail now. And, uh you know, just the the daunting nature of, of the the staff overhead to to make that that footprint just to drive that that single sale that, like you said, it may be uh, a low margin proposition. So uh, the mandate for scale is just just simply outrageous now because of all these massive players. I don't know. Last question there. You know, you're you're able to, and I think you you brought to bear something that that is is pretty big and, and massive scale. You're dealing with big clients. Um, advice for the, the small fries out there that are trying to do some disruptive technology and, you know, do not have the wherewithal to do that yet. Just, uh, you know, sort of wrap around your full experience there, 10 startups, you know, doing some really disruptive stuff. What do you recommend for people that are, are starting out bootstrapped or small seed round? Well, understand we've raised all of our money from angels. So we're very thrifty and, uh, a scrappy firm. Uh, we have great, great customers and uh, we're delivering tremendous value to our customers. But um, uh, one lesson, uh, do a one-sided sale. Um, it simplifies everything. Uh, this is why Amazon is uh, uh, doing so well because they don't have to, they own one side of it, which is Amazon. Um, so uh, that's, that's a lesson that I've learned. Um, uh, second lesson I've learned is is one because I've I, as a consultant I helped about seventy startups so I have a, a very broad range of experience with companies literally from infancy uh, to you know obviously the companies the size of Apple um, and what what I've learned is timing is everything uh, with the with the case of uh, Steve Jobs uh, Steve Jobs created Next in the nineteen eighties. Um, it failed really as a company. Um, 
but next is uh, OS X, uh, OS 10 is, is next. Uh, he was too early. You know, one of the reasons he failed is uh, he forced everybody to optical drives and they were too slow. They weren't ready. Um, so one of the things I've learned is uh, sometimes uh, uh, the timing is, uh, is the hardest thing. And uh, you've got to know, you know, when is it really ready? When is the market ready? And what, what are the components of, of the market that, that are ready? Um, I would say the, the next thing that I would focus on is um, what is the friction? And uh, how are you intending to address the friction? Um, because it is not usually lack of interest that kills a project, but the friction that kills the project. Um, you know, you've, you worked on your beautiful, elegant piece of software, but you don't realize they also have to work on a piece of software and you're number 10 in their priority list. Um, I see this, uh, a lot, um, with startups who, uh, have, a cool component, uh, uh, with, again, without naming names, I had a, um, a customer, this is 10 or 12 years ago, and they had the most brilliant piece of software. It was astonishing. It was, came out of uh, spy technology. But they had their own language. So you couldn't use like C++ or something. You had to use their language. Well, that's, that's friction. That requires a developer to, to make two purchase decisions. One purchase decision is, is your software going to solve my problem? And then, is it worth my time to learn your new language to program in that environment? And the answer ultimately was no, and the company didn't make it. Even though the core technology was astonishing. Um, that was almost 20 years ago. I still haven't seen anything like it. But they, they misunderstood that people have to use this stuff and they have to understand the entire end-to-end -end process that's needed for it to be adopted and, and to work. And that's something that's, a, that's still an open issue uh, for a lot of people and they don't think those things through. Uh, and they, by the way, that big companies make the same mistakes. I, I saw that problem in places like Adobe and others. So it's not, it's not isolated to startups. Yeah, I love that insight. That's that's fantastic, and I, I do see that a lot. You know, with um, misunderstanding the implementation and, and even adoption hurdles. You know, it's just like you you may have the most amazing thing, but you've got to get through those, you know, largely human problems of, of just you know determining how to how to put your thing on on top of the priority stacks. So I love that, Michael. Thanks for spending time. Fantastic advice here. I know the audience is going to love it. Uh, well, I appreciate the time and, uh, and nice to meet you. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. 
Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.